All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Startup Fuckups. Uh, and today I have a very interesting guest to share a bit about some of the financial fuckups a lot of entrepreneurs um, might accidentally make and some of her own stories as well of uh, financial mistakes that she, she made. Um, and yeah, I think it's a very interesting topic because a lot of times we as entrepreneurs tend to focus so much on the product and we also understand that sales is important, but beyond product and sales, we also need to have a, a deeper understanding of financials and how to manage that because you, you can, no matter how, how well you sell, if you are bleeding out the other end with too much cost, uh, poor margins, it's going to be really difficult to scale and grow the business as well. So uh, we have Jacinth uh, Cotto today from Calgary, and she has a rich background in both mentoring entrepreneurs, uh, but also in uh, the financial space. Um, with the work that she did with Tandem Accounting and now her own agency as well. So Jacinth, uh, I'd love to hear a bit about more about you. Kind of tell us about what led you down this path. I, I, know, I know you mentioned in our pre-call that you didn't come from a formal training in finance and you eventually moved towards that after realizing some mistakes about or some misconceptions about even personal finance uh, on your own end. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about your story. Sure. Thanks, Chin. Um, yeah, I <laughs> am not an accountant, um, but now work in the business financial side of things. Um, but yeah, my background, like I went to school for interior design, interior architecture, um, was always on the more project management, like logistics side of things, not the thing that people think about, like fluffing pillows and picking paint colors. Um, so I was dealing with a lot of project budgets and logistics and those things. But um, I got laid off very early, early on in that career in 2008 in the last recession and, and took a left turn into the world of entrepreneurship and, you know, went on the very windy route of trying out business ideas. I, I My first business was a prepared meal delivery service because I loved cooking. Um, and I got into a small business program that uh, the Ontario government was running because I was in Toronto at the time. And, you know, learned all this theory, but at the same time, I was in deep personal debt, credit card debt, paying tons of interest. I was so young. I had no clue about, you know, how to actually manage finances personally or through my business. And then, um, yeah, through, you know, the ultimate quote unquote failure of that business, which I didn't really know was a failure until many years later, I, you know, started on this path of entrepreneurship and have have worked in many startups now have uh, started many of my own ideas that didn't really go anywhere. Um, and then somehow after uh, working at a <laughs> the last startup I was working at, got laid off there because of course, many startups do not go past, uh, you know, the first few years of business um, and found myself in the world of cloud bookkeeping and met my now co-founders of Tandem Innovation Group, the management um, ac accounting company that we built over the last four or five years. And through working alongside my CFO partners and my accountant partners actually learned how I was supposed to be managing my business finances. And along the way thought like, how come nobody ever showed me this in a way that actually made me understand um, and yeah, so over the past couple of years, I've been working with Canadian service-based uh, small business owners and 
really through learning about all of this the hard way, because I've been there, I haven't been able to pay my rent twice in the course of six months in my early days. And like I said, played, paid thousands of dollars in credit card interest funding, funding my business, quote unquote, the wrong way. Um, I'm now super passionate about leveling up business financial literacy for business owners and hopefully helping them make less of the mistakes that I made in those early days and feeling a lot more ease around the financial side of their business. Mm, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, before we dive into some specifics around financials, you you talked a bit about, you know, not funding your business the right way, taking on personal debt. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, at least in, in your context, do you think a lot of that was mostly about poor attention to detail and not paying attention to cash flow? Or was it about not having the right understanding of how that works? Um, kind of where do you think that mistake came from? Oh, I think um, definitely a lack of just personal financial literacy in the first place. Because, you know, we everything that we learn and do in our personal life often applies to, you know, our habits and um, behaviors within our businesses. Mm. And so, you know, from my perspective growing up, I didn't grow up with a ton of financial literacy. And so... <laughs> promptly dug myself into debt. I, I applied for a credit card in university, did not tell my mom about it, promptly dug myself into debt because I remember growing up, like I, I worked at, you know, part-time jobs very early on. Um, you know, I worked at a movie theater and cleaned my grandma's house. And I, every time I knew how much money I was going to get, I immediately knew what I was going to go spend it on. So it was like burning a hole in my pocket. Um, and yeah. So when it came to starting a business, it was kind of out of necessity because I got laid off from my my job in 2008 and again, super young and already in personal debt. So it just was like, OK, well, what's the easiest way to try and do this? And I had a lot of like the business coaches I was following at the time um, had a lot of the like, if you build it, they will come kind of mentality. And mm. so I just blindly went into it, you know, super naive and was just like, great, I'm gonna, you know, this is so easy. And I think part of it too was I didn't know what my other options were or or if there were other options. Mm. Um, I, I hadn't found the right resources yet because it just kind of, again, happened through happenstance that I applied for this small business program and got in. So yeah, it was a combination of things, but I really think it started from a lack of that personal financial literacy and really having a good relationship with money to begin with. Mm. And and closely related to that, I'm I'm curious to hear your take on that that personal relationship with money piece because um I, I've seen entrepreneurs uh, who have been kind of like you in the sense where they they spend very readily and they're very mm. willing to take on debt. Uh, mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the fence, I also see entrepreneurs who are very debt averse, like mm -hmm. for, for them, like they would never, never take on debt. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a, a good balance between taking on the right debt and the right amount of debt as well, mm -hmm. because that can open up some possibilities to you that mm -hmm. you might otherwise forego if you are overly uh, conservative with how you spend. So yeah, what 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 kind of sort of... Um, personal attachments do you see that people have with money or, or kind of relationships that are possibly not the healthiest? Did you have any insights around that? Yeah, like, you know, I've talked with hundreds of entrepreneurs now um, from <laughs> building building a management accounting company and then also with Koto & Co with my own little practice and also with my own personal experience. I think 
some of it is again not being informed about what the options are and that there are you know programs especially post covid there seems to be a lot more funding programs that are coming out whether it's lines of credit or you know other things that are trying to make um, debt capital like working money more available to people that maybe historically it hasn't been available to mm. um so that's one of them but also there's a fear right like i've talked with many entrepreneurs and again this could be some of my experience too is like debt's considered a bad thing personally and or maybe uh you know they're they're an immigrant to canada and so they come with only the money they have and it's very hard to get credit in the first place and then um, you know, it's like, okay, well, we just never want to have debt anyway, right? Mm. So I think, yeah, there's many, many aspects to it. And there's a lot deeper, you know, there's a course I took called the trauma of money, which is incredible at, at exploring kind of the the trauma behind different intersectionalities and, and, you know, your what's passed down from your parents and your neighbors and your society and your experience based on gender and race and all these things. Mm. And so it's so multi-layered. So yeah, all that to say, it's very complicated. And um, I think uh, to answer it kind of simply is people often associate again, debt with being it being bad. But mm. when I learned through, you know, all these financial people that I was talking with that in the eyes of a bank or a funder, having business debt can actually make your business look good because banks and institutions don't give money away readily if they don't think that you're going to be able to pay it back. Mm -hmm. So when I learned that, I was like, oh, interesting that it can be a sign of a healthy business, actually. And on the flip side, getting debt, like me digging myself into personal credit card debt in my early days was I didn't have a plan. I didn't know. I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, which you know, if I knew what I know now, would I go back and do it? Probably not. But, mm -hmm. you know, it has gotten me where I am today. Yeah. And now I, you know, even me personally in my business, because I'm, you know, building another side of it now, not just one-to-one -one services anymore, but building online education or resources. And, you know, I'm full on startup mode in that side of my business. I'm leveraging a business line of credit to um, hire a marketing strategist that I work with regularly. And, you know, build, build my team out so that it's not just me anymore. Mm -hmm. And for me, even that's scary to leverage a line of credit and be like, oh my gosh, I'm taking on debt again. But um, it's, it's doing it with a plan and doing it with, we have some metrics set, set up. And if we're not seeing the results, then we pivot and we change. And, you know, we're always looking for what the signal is that we're doing the right thing to then lead to revenue generation for this other side of the business. So, you know, while yes, many people and myself included for a long time saw debt as a bad thing, I don't anymore think it's a bad thing. The right type of debt, like we were, you were saying, so lower interest rate debt, not credit cards, you know, mm -hmm. at worst, a line of credit, um, but with a plan and with uh, metrics that you can calculate to make sure that you're on track and not just digging a big hole. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many questions, but since we're on the topic <laughs> of debt, let, let's focus a bit more on the debt piece. Uh, so in and around that, especially if you're starting a new business, if you're an entrepreneur, 
how do you start to leverage some of those sources? Because I, I think the biggest problem a lot of entrepreneurs face is that their business is new. There is no record of transaction, no proof of cash flow. It, yeah. It's hard for them to even get a bank or any institution to trust them enough to grant them that line of credit or loan. Mm-hmm. How, how do they typically, what, what's the best way to start to build business credit? Yeah. Um, I can speak a little bit to it, but again, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not a banking expert, so I'll I'll tell you my experience, but also like before we even get to debt when building a business, I'm a huge fan of, and I, I didn't follow this advice in my early days, so I'm going to say it, but I also did not follow it, but had I, I'm sure I would have been a lot less stressed. Um, If you're building, and again, this is kind of more like service side or even product side, not necessarily like a SaaS product. Um, for as long as possible, have some other form of income. You know, we've mm-hmm. all heard the side hustle. Uh, and I wish that I'd taken that advice of just like having some sort of part-time job or a full-time job and starting to work on my business on the evenings and weekends, at lunchtime, whatever, right? So that I could do all this market research without having the pressure of having to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And that's effectively what I'm doing with Code Co., right? Like my one-to-one side of my business is I'm a contract CFO but that's effectively my day job, quote unquote, that is I'm leveraging to build this online course and group program side of my business, my business financial literacy side. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of doing it now. But um, for early businesses, and again, it depends what industry you're in, because it is a bit of a myth that, you know, there's funding out there for startups, uh, for tech startups, for sure. There's lots of federal government programs and maybe provincial ones as well. Again, also not a grant expert. There's awesome ones that you can go find. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're, you know, a small business owner who is a creative, is, a, you know, in the service-based business, maybe a comms and PR agency or an interior designer or uh, another accountant or, you know, something like that, there, there aren't really grants that you can get out there. And um, often lines of credit especially in the early days of your business, it's all based on your own personal credit score. And so again, harking back to the trauma of uh, money course I was talking about, our banking systems are not designed for everyone. And so as unfair as that can be for people who have been historically kind of excluded from being able to build credit in the first place, Mm -hmm. that is generally the first way to start getting um, some credit and or basically having assets to put up a house or you know lots of money in the bank to mm-hmm. then be able to be given that line of credit debt right yeah so yeah before even going to debt <laughs> my advice now is to you know try to get as far as you can in your business and and getting to a product or service that is starting to generate revenue before even having debt in the plan right mm. um yeah. We, we touched on in what you talked about, we, we, we used two words that I, I'm sure some people might not be entirely familiar with. So the yeah. difference between a line of credit versus a loan, yeah. can you elaborate a bit on kind of what the two are, you know, what is more appropriate for a different kind of situation? Yeah. So um, a line of credit is a revolving debt instrument. And again, not a banker. Um, But basically, you know, you, for example, in British Columbia, um, Van City, which is a credit union there, and uh, an organization called WeBC, which is the Women's Enterprise um, Organization, I can't remember the exact name, they have a partnership to uh, give out, um, they have two kind of streams of uh, debt financing that they're providing and one is a line of credit and one is a loan and so it's the line of credit is purely based on um the entrepreneur's 
personal credit score. It has to be some number or above. And you can get up to $20,000 that just sits like an overdraft on your bank account. That's the way that bank is doing it. Some other banks will, you know, it'll be a separate account that you log in on your bank, um, online banking and see it. But you can basically, it's similar to a credit card where you like can take money, use money, put money back, et cetera. Um, and you get charged generally lower interest rates than a credit card. A loan, however, on the flip side is generally for more established businesses, in my opinion, um, and it'll be it'll have a fixed amount of time that you have to pay it back. So say it's $50,000, you apply, you get it, the bank will deposit $50,000 or you'll open up that account and have $50,000 and you have to make you know steady payments over a three-year term, for example, to pay it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, again, depends on the bank. But the use case for either is loans tend to be, you know, something that is for businesses that maybe have something material. So say, you know, you have a brick and mortar space or a retail shop and you want to do a little, some renovations potentially, or you need to buy some inventory because your mm-hmm. business is growing. Generally, banks like it better when they're giving loans for like solid things, mm-hmm. um, physical things. And so you want to use it for that. And then you're going to pay back the money because you have a plan that often require, you know, two, two years of planning, cash flow planning um, and, and profit and loss planning. Um, whereas a line of credit is really great for like um, backup cash in case there's a dip. Like if you're a small business that's growing quickly, you're starting to get people on payroll, you're starting to hire employees and, but your, you know, client payments can be somewhat erratic it can be really helpful to have something like a line of credit as a backup um, for when payroll needs to come out, for example. <laughs> yeah, no, great explanation. And yeah. um, at least to my understanding as well, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, The let, let's say if you, you take both examples, if you get a $50,000 line of credit and a $50,000 loan, the biggest difference is with the loan, that is that is full amount that 50K that mm-hmm. you owe interest on that you have to pay over a certain period correct. of time. And yep. the line of credit on the other hand, you only use it when you need to use it. So if you qualify for 50,000, there's no harm in taking the line of credit. But then let's say if you only take out 1,000 this month because you couldn't meet payroll this month, then you only pay the interest on that 1,000. And once it's paid off again, that amount is just what you can take out if you need to. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And loans, like fixed-term loans, generally have lower interest rates than even line of credits. Mm. So line of credits are lower than credit cards, but then loans are lower than even line of credit. But yeah, you're paying interest immediately. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a few other kind of mediums. So you talked a bit about grants and then you alluded to as well, like obviously funding from investors. Mm -hmm. Um, can you speak to some of the pros and cons between debt, uh, grants and, um, dilutive capital? Yeah. So, um, so, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's multiple types of capital, as you mentioned. So, you know, some is quote unquote institutional financing, aka lines of credit and loans. There's grant funding, which could come from, uh, you know, federal provincial funding bodies. It could come from private charities. It could, you know, there's lots of places it can come from. And then there's what you call dilutive capital, aka getting investors, outside investors in your business, which um, means that they're buying into your business and you are giving away portion of your business, shares in your business. So it depends on the type of business. So again, for example, if you are a... Um, tech business, you know, you're building a, uh, an app or a piece of software, 
there are tons and tons of funding programs, um, federally and provincially, that you know will offer grants and those types of things. Again, I'm not an expert on those, so you'd ha have to go Google them. Um, but they're also really attractive to investors because tech businesses can grow 10 times, right, without growing their overhead or capital um, kind of costs. Um, whereas if you are a small business owner, right, like someone like me, or like I mentioned before, kind of those comms and PR, or anybody in professional services, those types of businesses, they're not necessarily going to grow exponentially. They may not, quote unquote, have, you know, the big exit plan like a tech company does where they're going to raise millions of dollars and get in front of hundreds of thousands of people and have a very big valuation that's going to be a big payoff for those investors if it gets to that place, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the more owner-operated businesses aren't generally going to have those types of big financial events and these big exits. So having investors is not really um, a, a type of uh, funding that makes sense generally. Mm -hmm. um, being able to fund, actually, there's one more type of funding, getting your customers getting customers to buy stuff that is cash in the door, AKA money you can use to grow your business. Right. Mm -hmm. So those types of service based businesses um, are really, uh, really well positioned to, you know, make sure that they have a product, <laughs> talk to their audience that the, the audience actually wants to buy. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some grants um, that are available more for hiring for smaller businesses, but mm -hmm. not just money being handed out. It's a bit of a myth that there is just money to be handed out. Um, it depends on the programs that are coming from the government, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent now. So can you bring <laughs> me back? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and maybe I'll uh, kind of expand on that as well, and you can add more if if there's uh, some other stuff that I'm missing out on. Yeah. So at least from from what I've been seeing, um, generally, like like you say, the the more you can qualify or the more that you can apply for, the easier it is to get other sources of funding. So an example here is, uh, you know, I've seen investors look at companies favorably if they've received some sort of grant program or grant funding or tax credit or, um, let's say even uh debt from a bank because it shows that people trust this entrepreneur and therefore it's easier for them to to hop on board as well. So mm -hmm. to, to that sense, like it also works the other way. I've seen um, banks more willing to give uh, loans if there is an investor in, in the company as well. But like you say, mm -hmm. yeah, um, not everything is equally accessible to every business owner and, and it all mm -hmm. depends on what kind of business you run. Um, other things that I, I've seen as well to be mindful about is um, kind of the time to secure and also kind of the, the backend reporting. So what I mean by that is generally, I think a lot a lot of entrepreneurs have the misconception that investor capital is quick and easy. Mm. Um, and I'd say actually investor capital is probably the the longest instead, because you you need to have to build up a, a good relationship with an investor before they're willing to invest. I mean, obviously, if you're blessed with a good network and you already know a lot of investors, then you have that in your favor. Um, but otherwise. Uh, typically what I see as being the easiest source of funding to secure. Uh, obviously, you have your friends and families, and then you have um, uh, loans and debt, and then you have grants and, uh, and tax credits, and then lastly, the um, diluted for investor capital. So that's mm -hmm. in terms of how quickly you can secure some of that money. Um, and then on the flip side, the, the reporting side of things as well, investor capital is usually lighter on that side, where depending on the investor you bring on board, they may or may not want to be heavily involved in your business. And if they are not, then there's not too much reporting that you have to do. 
but they're also familiar that they're taking on more risk as well. And then on the other side of things, you have, um, let's say, government grants and programs that require some form of reporting. And then you also have your debt capital, which might require even more intensive reporting as well. So just things to be mindful about that some people don't uh, know about when they jump into some of these um, different vehicles of, of funding. Yeah, totally. And I think there's a lot of misconception around every type of funding, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I was going to say especially investors, but I think just every single one can have their misconceptions. And like you said, and it, it really is about where do you want to take the business? What's the exit plan? Um, what type of industry and product or service are you selling? And that is is all of those put together can narrow down what the potential funding options are. And again, I'm a fan because I work with service-based businesses, not tech businesses myself as a CFO. Um, I'm a fan of, you know, let's, let's get the business to a point where it's revenue generating so that, you know, we're not solely reliant on our own money being put into it um, on, yeah, potentially leveraging personal debt or lines of credit from business, that type of thing. Like ultimately we want to build businesses that are profitable and have good cash flow. And so if we have to mm. keep funding them through other other means, it means that we don't, our business model doesn't work yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think this is a good point to transition away from the, the debt conversation into kind of the cash flow conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I love to hear about your experience with either your personal companies or even your clients in and around, you know, cash flow mistakes, um, dealing with things like burn rate and runway, and probably you, you can kind of explain those terms as we go as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I'll also preface this say reminder: I'm not an accountant, so <laughs> all the terms I use, uh, I do do my best, and I have done my best to learn the accounting terms over the years. But sometimes even I get them mixed up. But what I'm really great at is translating all of that information for people who are not accountants, us entrepreneurs, right? Um, so yeah, to answer your question, well, just last year <laughs> with Kodo & Co, like I mentioned, I um, last year pivoted my my own little business, Kodo & Co, from just providing one-to-one -one services to starting to build out basically an online education side of my business, um, which takes time, right? And I was fortunate enough because of, you know, just circumstance and when I'd incorporated my businesses several years ago that I was actually uh, eligible for some of the COVID relief grants that had come out, um, speaking of different types of funding, <laughs> and, um, you know, I was able to leverage them to hire a marketing assistant and, and get a couple other grants that helped provide um, that funding to hire some experts. And this whole past year has been, you know, a major exercise in market research and listening to audience and trying things and testing. And of course, we, I did not get signal, aka I didn't have, you know, my audience responding the way I thought they would um, as quickly as I wanted to, right? So I totally experienced that that thing that many entrepreneurs experience where you're kind of going like, oh my God, I'm running out of money. What do I do, you know? And so we've actually finished 2022 on paper, not profitable, which for a long time, or well, not a long time, it's only been a couple months <laughs> since I realized that was going to happen. But um, I had a bit of like, oh my gosh, I'm here teaching people about how to 
you know, run their run their um, financial roadmap, I call it, aka management reporting, which includes your cash flow forecast and your budget forecast, profit and loss, um, sales forecast, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm here teaching people how to build those for themselves. And then I have a non-profitable year. But after a week or so of reflection, I was like, but that is also part of it. Like having the plan in place allowed me to run some scenarios. Like I had done this early on of, okay, you know, the good, bad, and ugly scenarios. And this was the bad scenario coming to light. So I was able, because I'd done that planning to manage my cash flow. And again, p- leveraging this business line of credit that I have as part of that. Um, and it doesn't make it any less stressful at the time of realizing that it didn't make it any less stressful, but I was a lot less stressed than I had been in my early days where I had no plan at all and just continually watched my bank balance dip and the credit card (laughs) bills get bigger. Right. So yeah, those are, you know, I wouldn't say it, I made a mistake, but it's one of those things where I even was a bit too optimistic in my forecasting Um, when I'm usually the one with my clients being like, let's just pare that back a bit. Like, let's be super conservative. And I thought I was being conservative, but I wasn't because, you know, starting a new business, a new business, because that's essentially what that size of the business is, takes time. It takes a lot of listening for the audience. And, you know, no matter what type of business, like someone has to fund it because cash is the auction of a business, right? If we don't have cash, you know, love it, love it or not, because of the economic system that has been designed and that we're working within, we must have cash. And so, you know, I'm choosing to self-fund um, because it's a service-based business. Again, like there's there's no need for me to go out and get um, investors or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, you know, the thing I had to do more of because I made, well, that is the one mistake I made. I stopped talking about my one-to-one services which is the thing that's funding the rest of this stuff. So that's the big mistake I made actually mm. was, you know, before I had this other side of my business revenue generating, I didn't, I just kind of stopped networking and talking about my my one-to-one CFO side of things. And thus that pipeline dried up, right? Mm. So I had to restart it in October. And I know from all, I had to be my own client. I know that it takes at least three months from starting a conversation to when a when a new client will actually land. And sure enough, from the beginning of October to right before Christmas, I got a verbal yes from my first client um, since reopening that pipeline. So yeah. yeah, that was the the key mistake. And and I see that a lot. But again, yeah. like I said before as well, it's like when people are in early stages of business putting all your eggs to use the cliche in one basket and being like, my business is going to pay, you know, I'm going to be able to pay everything puts a lot of stress on you as a human. And so um, Mm -hmm. knowing where your bills are going to get paid from is kind of like one of the key things when you're in in the early days, for sure. Yeah. And and if it's any comfort to you, I I don't think that the the mistake that you made was actually a bad thing because you know that there's a famous quote by eisenhower where he says planning is nothing but the sorry plans are nothing but planning is everything yeah and and the the notion or at least what i've learned over time is um i've seen a lot of entrepreneurs get sick and tired of like making financial forecasts and budgets because mm-hmm. almost every financial forecast and budget looks beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you launch your business and you realize that everything goes to shits. So oh, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's all some... just a, it's all just glorified guesses, right? <laughs> yeah. And and <laughs> at the end of the day, I've I've seen a lot of people tire of that and they just say, okay, I'm just gonna run it, you know, 
by, yeah, by, by the, intuition. <laughs> yeah, by the intuition, by by the kind of flaps on my seats kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think you're spot on. It's mostly not so much about whether the plan is correct. But once you've done the act of planning, you start to notice what are the levers that you can pull mm-hmm. if certain things don't go the way that it's supposed to. Exactly. Go. So if you yeah. don't hit cash flow or if, you know, God, God forbid, it's like you get a huge amount of demand, where mm-hmm. do you need to spend more money? Where can you cut back? Or, you know, how do you kind of balance everything up in order yeah, to totally. either meet demand or kind of um, survive, <laughs> so yeah. to speak? Well, it's like it's like in project management, if I can liken it to that. I like I'm a natural planner. And so I will think of, you know, problem A through Z and the potential solutions for them. And more often than not, none of those problems happen when you're running a project or an event. Like I used to run some live events and stuff. And but when a problem does happen and you've thought of potential solutions for those problems, it goes off without a hitch, right? But when you haven't spent the time to think about what could go wrong, then you're in a pickle when something does go wrong, right? So doing these types of scenarios where it's all just like, sure, all of it's make-believe, but it gives you time, like for me, it gave me time to go, okay, if I hit this worst case scenario, which did start happening, although no, it wasn't the worst case. I'll say the a bad scenario where I didn't get any signal. I just tried to sell this group program. Nobody registered. Thus, oh no, I was relying on $10,000 of revenue to come in that didn't. What will I do um, if that happens? And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I know I have the line of credit. I know I potentially have, you know, I can go ask my mom. I can, you know, do whatever. There's all sorts of routes that I went in my brain. Mm-hmm. And so when pushed in, came to shove and I had to start enacting, it was like, okay, well, yes, I'm going to do this. And then I have to see this signal and then I'll do that, you know? So Mm -hmm. it just, it gave my, my brain didn't have to think so hard when I was in that stressful place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Since we are both people who are very familiar with both finance and business, I want to make sure Mm -hmm. that um, we we don't leave the jargons unaddressed. (laughs) Yeah. So Oh, but when it comes to the word, you know, cash flow, cash flow planning, yeah. cash flow forecasts, yeah, and like budget, budget planning, budget forecasts, are they both the same? Is there any difference? Like, is there such a thing as a cash flow forecast versus a budget forecast? Yeah. So I like to, like I mentioned before, all of these put together, I call what I what I call the financial roadmap, mm-hmm. is um, in the accounting world what's called management reporting, and there are multiple multiple things that come into them. So short answer, budget. A budget cash or a budget forecast and a cash flow forecast are technically different. Cash flow is basically um, looking at what we anticipate as money coming in and money going out of the business, generally via the bank account, um, and what the timing will be. So you know, payroll we know will come in. Uh, sorry, will go out X. You know, the fifteenth and the thirtieth of the month, for example, if it's a it's if it's a twice monthly payroll. Mm-hmm. But maybe our we're not anticipating our clients. Like we have thirty day payment terms for our clients, and so you know we have to make some guesses about when people will actually pay the invoices. So it's looking at timing of when the money is moving from your bank account. Whereas mm-hmm. a budget, um, I like to design and align budgets with a profit and loss statement. So a profit and loss statement is a true accounting report generally, you know, put together by an accounting system software. Um, And it's where from the process of bookkeeping, all data gets entered into the accounting software. And then we can pull 
the data from the bookkeeping in multiple different reports and the profit and loss is one of them the balance sheet is another one you know those are the two main um, accounting reports that I'm sure many most entrepreneurs have heard of at some point and then there's a lot of other ones you can pull but the profit and loss um, is this backward looking so historical data looking report that looks at the money coming into the business from what we sell so our revenue streams our sales streams I could get deeper because those two mean different things too, but I won't right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it looks at the money coming into the business from what we sell. Mm -hmm. Then it also looks at what it costs for us to develop and or sell and or make that product. So that's what's cost of goods sold, cost of sales. They mean the same thing. Um, and then it looks at our overhead expenses. So marketing and office expenses and all those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then what our profit or loss is at the end of the day um, when you minus our expenses from what we're selling. So that is a profit and loss. And I design a budget to match that profit and loss so that we can do, you know, budget versus actuals pretty easily. But often when people are talking about a budget, they're talking about either an operating budget. So it's just the expense portion of a profit and loss. And it's like, okay, well, how much can we spend on marketing? How much is our software? What's our rent? What's our utilities? How much do we have to hire people? But there can be budgets within budgets within budgets, like a department, right? A marketing department will have a budget that fits into the business's overall operating budget. Hmm. Um, so yeah, not to get too in the weeds about it, but so cash flow shows the movement of the money and the timing mm -hmm. that come in and out of the bank account, whereas a budget um, shows what we think we're going to, well, again, I'll talk from an operating budget perspective, what we're anticipating we are going to spend in order to make the business run. Mm -hmm. So it's setting it out and we build these budgets to and cash flows to make plans and monitor what we're doing in the business to make sure that we're always doing things that will drive profitability in the business, being profitable, um, and that we have enough cash in the bank and we can monitor and, and you know, yeah. <laughs> make plans for when potentially it dips below what ideal cash in the bank is. Mm. And just to sound some of that back, uh, if I'm hearing yeah. it correctly, the budget is usually more on the fiscal year, just the, the or period of time. And then the, the cash flow itself is um, more granular, so to speak, because you're looking at when exactly the money might come in or go out. Yeah, it can be either of them can be, you know, generally we look at them on a 12 month rolling basis. So we're mm -hmm. always looking 12 months ahead ahead from today's date um, or the last month end, um, so to speak. And mm -hmm. they they mirror each other. So I always like to look at a budget, you know, if we've got it's January right now, I'll be looking from January until next December on a monthly basis. And um, yeah, you can get really granular with any of these things. From just an overhead planning thing, I always just match cash flow to what's happening in the budget in January. So mm -hmm. if we have payroll and we have software expenses and we have all those things, I'm just assume those mon that money will go out in January. But um, when a business becomes, when there's more going on in the business and it gets bigger and there's more cash coming and going, then mm -hmm you know, that's when we start looking at things a lot more granularly on like a weekly or a daily basis if there's a ton going on. When a mm -hmm. business is small, it's not that many people and generally the owner is the one paying the bills and, you know, doing those things. Um, then looking at it kind of on a, on a monthly basis is okay as long as there's somebody still monitoring the bank account and making sure it doesn't mm -hmm. go below, you know, a certain balance. Mm -hmm. 
Um, to to shift gears a little, so you you touch on uh, profit and loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess if we really want to oversimplify things, and any business is just about how much money comes in versus how many how much money goes out. Um, what have you learned over time about uh, kind of the money coming inside of things first? So like mm-hmm. pricing margins and then we'll talk about loss and expenses so um on the money coming inside of things profit like what have you seen people make uh, as mistakes around let's say pricing or um timing or collections yeah Ooh, good one Ooh, juicy juicy topic <laughs> um <laughs> i would say again and i work you know 100 with service-based business owners uh i can say 99% of the clients I've worked with were underpricing their services when we started. So often people start as freelancers and so they price themselves at an hourly rate. That's like, oh, this is really good compared to the hourly rate I was making as a nine to five employee somewhere, right? And it's like more money than, than they've ever, ever made, but then their business starts growing, they start getting busier, maybe they start resenting clients. <laughs> they don't, they, you know, go, I'm giving you such a good deal. Um, or they just get so busy and they're like, I can't make any more money because I'm so busy, but I want to make more money. So what do I do? Um, or they realize like, wow, something's actually happening and they start hiring other freelancers, but then they're not making as much money and they go, well, how can I grow this sustainably? So yeah, I would say 99% of people are underpricing their services in the, in that respect. Um, and so, you know, it's about when when you start growing beyond just one person, you have to look at pricing in a way that's for growth for a business because it's not just about paying you as one person anymore. It's about paying paying you or somebody else who can do the work, like you don't have to do it anymore. Plus being able to put money towards overhead expenses, AKA rent and utilities and software and, and paying yourself as you know the owner of the business versus the person doing the work. And then also ideally having some profit left over at the end of the day that you can use to reinvest in the business, hire more people, try, you know, grow new revenue streams, um, or pay yourself more out of that, that Uh profit. Right. Uh So, yeah. And we have the most control generally in terms of what we sell and how we're pricing it. We obviously have to look at the market and competitors and all those types of things, but um, we have the most control over what we sell and how we're pricing it in order to bring money in the door mm-hmm. uh, i'm gonna shoot myself for asking this question <laughs> but, but I, I i want to hear your answer anyways because i i wonder if there's kind of a, a fast and hard rule of thumb for for looking at margins so for mm-hmm. example if you're in a service business is there kind of a i i, I know again it's going to differ depending on every business and, and kind of what mm-hmm. kind of cost cost they have but mm-hmm. if you're a service, is there a rough rule of thumb for what should be planned into their margin? And, and same goes for, you know, if you, let's say if you're a product company, if you're leveraging, let's say distributors and you have retailers, do you need to think about a certain percentage in terms of margin? Yeah, I'll just answer really broadly. <laughs> um, so yeah, for most service-based businesses, generally what I'm working with my clients on is like, okay, we need a 40 to 60% margin. And it it varies because uh, often, again, when people starting out, they're a freelancer and then they start hiring other freelancers, AKA subcontractors. Um, and then maybe the business grows to such a size that we start hiring employees. And so subcontractors cost more than employees do generally per hour. 
with employees, we're obviously spending more money because we're high, we're like hiring, we're reserving all their capacity, right? But on an hourly basis, they'll tend to be um, a little bit less than subcontractors, especially if they're senior subcontractors compared to like, you know, a, a mid-level or junior employee that we're hiring. So when we're pricing, um, if we aim for that 40 to 60% margin, it allows space to uh, hire, like delegate out the work so that the business owner doesn't have to be the one doing all the work anymore if they don't want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and so we can hire them out, still have money left over, like I said, to cover operating expenses and, and profit mm -hmm. for reinvesting in the business. Product-based businesses, again, I don't work directly with product-based businesses. Actually, I do work with one who's been a friend for a long time. Um, and so I can't speak to like a, a general rule for, it might be like 50-50 um, or COGS maybe are supposed to be more like 33% than 60% for overhead. <laughs> but it again, just depends how the business is being run. Like if a product-based business is manufacturing in-house, their cost of goods will be a lot higher than if they're outsourcing um, and what they're doing within their business is more just like the marketing and sales portion of it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, I, I think we don't even have to address software because <laughs> margins of software are very different since like you yeah, said. Yeah, I have they, no they idea scale. about software margins. Yeah. <laughs> um, curious to hear your take on, on the loss side of things then. Do, do you see people often kind of uh, misspending on the wrong items or mismanaging cash flow uh, in any sense? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, two, one is what spending without having a plan or not really paying attention, right? And again, I was guilty of that in my early days, sometimes even now where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to deal with it. But I tend to have a muscle now that I know if I'm overspending or not, and then I'll go check my cash flow and I'll be like, okay, great, got to write that in. Um, but yeah, before there is any type of plan or, you know, monitoring document, like the financial roadmap in place, um, will have like I've seen people who they don't file their taxes right for several years and so there's no financial grounding and they just keep spending money without having any idea of if what they're doing is actually making the business profitable or not because if we sure we could have a hundred thousand or a five hundred thousand or three million dollar business but if we're spending three million dollars mm -hmm. <laughs> or more then we don't have a profitable business right um so, so yeah, like one of the big mistakes is spending without a plan. Um, and what, and the other one is spending on the wrong things, especially in the early days. So like a startup, I don't know where I read this. Somebody said it might be a famous quote, like a startup is a company that is trying to figure out who, what they're selling and to whom and for how much. And so before we actually have any idea of what will be revenue generating, AKA what customers will actually buy it doesn't like, like the mistakes I see are spending on like marketing without a plan or you know consultants that not, none of it is going towards actually what the revenue generating thing is so mm. in those early days like and again I have I haven't done this in my early days as well is like everything should be focused on getting to the point where you have something that is bringing in revenue. Mm -hmm. Anything else can be put on the back burner, should not be spent right now. You know, as much as it's like fun or pretty or exciting to go do that thing, if it's not directly related to building that revenue generation thing, then put it on the back burner. 
and focus on bringing in that revenue first. Yeah, I, I love that answer because uh, the, the common things I often see a lot of early entrepreneurs spend on is like swag, right? They, they, they buy oh, yeah. clothing, swag. Uh, they spend a lot on branding, marketing. Not, not, not to say that branding and your logo is not important, but how much in proportion does that impact your bottom line in terms of revenue? Yeah. So, well, and there's kind of, there's steps, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just like anything in business. I talk about this operationally as well. You know, it's like, oh, even spending money on expensive software when it's like you don't actually know what your process is or what you need, right? Like that can be a thing that you don't necessarily need to spend money on early days. But Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, there's going to be baseline systems for every single part of your business, marketing, operations, sales, the accounting and finance side, your, you know, customer delivery, whatever you're doing. And so, for example, on the accounting side of things, a baseline um system is having an invoice template. Like Mm -hmm. you don't even need to be on a software yet. Ideally, yes, you would get on some software pretty quick, but if there's no money for a software subscription, having a simple Excel spreadsheet as an invoice template is a system, right? Mm -hmm. And then eventually as money comes in, sure, great. Then we got an invoicing software and then we get a a bookkeeping and, you know, accounting system in place. So there's always going to be these steps where we start, we've got some baseline structure in place, um, and then as we grow and see signal and have some money come in, we can layer, excuse me, layer in the next best kind of solution for what it is. For mm-hmm. example, with marketing, right? Like you said, the branding and such, it's perfectly fine in my opinion. And I love, again, I'm a design brain. Like that's my background. I want things to look perfect, but at the same time, just having a self-designed logo or a cheap logo, as much as my design friends will hate this at the beginning is fine because until you start to gain some traction, mm-hmm. you know, there's not going to be enough people seeing the logo to, <laughs> you know, have it really make a difference. And so once you can gain some money or show that you have traction, it's like, okay, now we need some good branding. Maybe that's something that you can go get some funding or a loan for mm-hmm. to have it really good. And then, you know, you have it in place for when you're starting to really make an impact and scale and, and do all those things. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and just being cognizant of time as well, as I try to tie both the financial mm-hmm. side and the business side together, as, as a business owner, do you have advice for them, for other business owners on what are some key metrics to look at that will help you tie both the business and sales and revenue side of things to the financial side of the picture? Oh, I feel like that's a big question. <laughs> um, okay, key metrics. Well, number one is, so, well, the two core ones are monitoring profitability and cash flow. So there's all sorts of things that need to happen or to get the data in place to actually look at that. Um, But, you know, some of the key things we look at are percentage of profitability. So, you know, most businesses you want at the end of the day for them to be between five and 20% profitability. They could be way higher, way lower, just again, depends on the industry and stuff. Um, cash flow wise, you know, we're looking at how many months of, you said earlier, runway and runway is, is just the amount of money we have to pay our bills, our ongoing overhead expenses. If no money came in, if we made no sales and we needed to make sure we had money to pay all our ongoing obligations, how much do we have left? So we want to make sure we have, you know, minimum three months, for example, which can take a long time for a business to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on the business too. Like for example, with Kodo and Co, we're monitoring our mailing list, you know, how that's growing. 
And then we monitor how many people register for, you know, our free programs, like our tax time bootcamp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we monitor how many people from there sign up for our, you know, DIY bookkeeping accountability membership. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of these numbers come together to, because because what is the ultimate purpose of this business? Mm-hmm. Making money. We, of course, in the social impact space, want to mirror, marry that with like our values alignment, right? Like it's not just about the bottom line, Mm -hmm. but we have to have everything from our sales pipeline, from, you know, what we're marketing, what people will sign up for and monitoring how they get to the point where they actually purchase something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I understand what you're saying of like putting the business side and the financial side together and the financial side underlines every part of our business mm-hmm. because if everything that if if what we're doing in every part of our business isn't ultimately driving to revenue or delivering what we are offering like for example the operation side actually delivering the product or service once for someone has purchased and thus if they have a bad experience not purchasing again or not spreading the word about us then you know the business as a whole doesn't work mm-hmm. yeah and I'll, I'll jump into put in two other metrics as well for those that are more sales and marketing inclined. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other related metrics that closely tie in as well is uh, what we call the customer acquisition costs, mm-hmm. which uh, in, in an oversimplified way of describing it is basically how much it takes for you to get a customer. So for example, um, you know, in a very simplified world, if you spend $5,000 on marketing and it gives you, let's say 10 customers, then it's $500 for, per customer to get. Um, obviously what goes into that 5,000 that the, the amount that you spend is a lot more complicated because you you should be accounting for uh, not only your marketing budget, but also like employee salaries, other activities that you do that relate to uh, kind of the assets and creation of an event or whatever it is that goes into eventually getting the customer through the door. Uh, and then on the other side of the picture, you have your your customer life and value. So how, how much do you get out of the customer? Because if let's say for... Every customer that costs you five hundred dollars to to get, do you make at least uh, an equivalent amount of money back from them or more? Right. If you're only making let's say two hundred dollars per customer for whatever product or service you're selling, then you don't have a profitable business. Uh, you know, if you're making a thousand dollars per customer, then you have a profitable business. And how do you try to calculate lifetime value? Again, like an oversimplified answer here, but an example for that would be, you know, if your customer is paying let's say a hundred dollars per month. And if they stay with you for six months, then you have a $600, $600 lifetime value for your customer. And in, in that picture, then you can see, okay, I make $100 per customer because it cost me $500 to get them and I can earn $600 from them. Um, so again, yes, oversimplified, but just to help more of the people who are used to the marketing terms and, and sales terms, uh, CAC and LTV is another way to look at the cash flow piece as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I often am, I don't use those terms, so to speak again, because the service based businesses that I'm working with aren't necessarily like, we don't need to get as sophisticated and it's an incredible, both of those are incredible tools as a business starts to grow. For example, with the service side, like as their agencies, because that's effectively what they're building really start to grow and get beyond, you know, say eight people that to tighten things up, bringing in those types of metrics is super super valuable mm-hmm. yeah um ooh, we, we touched on a lot maybe just <laughs> for, <laughs> for people who are 
you know, if they're hungry for more, if they want to speak to you or reach out to you, what, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and or um, Kodo & Co.? Yeah, they can check out my website, kodoandco.com or um, come follow me on Instagram, just at Jacinth Kodo. Um, and we've got, you know, monthly free workshops, you know, business finance 101 workshops um, that they can find on the website for free. And we also have our tax time boot camp that we're running a few more times. Well, we're running a few times a year. Um, so they can find the information about that as well. Great. Uh, thank you, Jacinth. I will post the link um, in the in the show notes as well. But can you just quickly spell that out just to make sure that people get to the right website? Yeah, it's K. Oh, I was going to write it in here. Um, <laughs> it is K-O-D-D-O-A-N-D-C-O.com. And um, Instagram, it's J-A-C-I-N-T-H-E-K-O-D-D-O. Um, with no spaces or or periods or anything. Great. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I think um, we tried to cram a lot into a, an hour-long <laughs> episode. There's definitely a lot more that we could talk about. I know. Um, Hopefully we yeah. didn't get too nerdy and, and people tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I, I did have a lot of fun with it. So yeah, yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, Chen. <laughs>